the Australian Hunting and Beyond podcast with Matt. The hunting journey continues. Let's get into it. I am super pumped tonight because holy crap, this story just, oh, I've read about it and just freaked out because Australians don't have to consider anything like this. So, man, I'm honoured to have a gentleman from over in the US join us tonight and he's got some pretty crazy stories including a bear hunt he just recently went on. Clint Adams, welcome to the Australian Hunting and Beyond podcast. Yeah, hey, how are you doing, man? I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Mate, uh, our, our pleasure. I um, man, oh, look, let's get into it. I, <laughs> sure. I just, I've, I've been waiting. We've been talking for a while, and I've been waiting to hear this story, and it is a, it's epic. So, sure for our listeners, this is insane. You know, I, I sit there and go, compared to Americans, when we hunt out here, the biggest sort of thing you got to worry about, in my opinion, is snakes. And we got a lot of venomous snakes. But realistically, if you're walking slow and you're looking where you're putting your feet and you're wearing gaiters and things like that, they're not yeah. overly – you don't need to worry about them that much. And you guys got rattlesnakes and stuff over there as well. But you guys then have to contend with other things. Like you've got cougars, you've got bears, you've got wolves. Like it's just – depending where you are, obviously, but – it's cool. Right. So let's talk about what happened to you and this bear. Yeah. So, so setting the stage a little bit, you know, I'm from Utah in the States and so the lower 48. So been hunting all my life. But, but again, like you said, there's cougars that you got to worry about that give you a little bit of thought when you're going into the woods or in the hills. Black bears, you're really not too worried about. And then you hear some of the stories up in like Montana, Wyoming of, of grizzlies. You know, then you get to Alaska, and and this was my third trip to Alaska. So I wasn't a new hunter to Alaska. I'd done a moose and caribou hunt and harvested a, an amazing moose and caribou and black bear on one trip. Uh, didn't even see a single grizzly or brown bear. And and I'll clarify, too, because I think a lot of people, when they've heard this story, they, they get confused. But the difference between a brown bear and a grizzly. So in Alaska, if if they're on a specific side of a mountain they're they're a mountain grizzly as you get co- closer to the coast and they're on the coastal side then they'll be called a coastal brown bear but still really really the same species they'll get a lot bigger when you're on the coast of alaska so those coastal brown bears will be eight nine even ten feet you know uh, squared um Sometimes the mountain grizzlies, uh, a really big mountain grizzly is eight and a half, nine foot. And so, I, you know. Wow. It's still huge. So, so it huge, like? just huge. A thousand, twelve hundred pound bear, a, a predator like that. And when you see their claws, they're four or five inches just on their claws. Their teeth are ridiculous. And so, on that moose hunt, I didn't even see a mountain grizzly. We were in the, the mountains of Alaska, inland. I went back the year after and did a doll sheep hunt. And on both of these hunts, I had the opportunity to harvest a, a grizzly if I saw one. But but on the doll sheep hunt, I was successful on the doll sheep, but I didn't even see a grizzly on that hunt. So I'd been to Alaska twice, and I really wasn't worried about bears. You, you, you know, when you're sleeping outside, you're kind of worried at night. You hear rustling, and you're like, oh, is that a bear? <laughs> but um, other than that, you know, you, you, I really didn't take bear defense really serious it wasn't on the forefront of my mind like you're preparing the gear and everything 
Yeah, got good tent, got good sleeping bag, got good rain gear. And you're not thinking, oh, like, what am I going to use in case I see a brown bear at eight feet away? Like, And so, anyway, I, I got invited on a cancellation hunt to go to uh, a place called Baranoff Island. They're on the east, east, southeast of Alaska on a mountain goat hunt. Um, and I really wasn't prepared for the terrain there either. It's just, it's, it's like rainforest mountains, just like what you'd see on Avatar. It's just crazy steep mountains, lakes on the bottom, super wet tundra, tons of deadfall, muskag, and willows, super thick willows, until you get above tree line, then you're in the mountain area. So on this hunt, and I, I had my new girlfriend, I've been dating her for about three months, and I invite her along on this hunt. <laughs> and uh, both of our families were kind of both like, hey, are you, are you sure you want to go, Mel? That's her name. And, and uh, that, she's like, yeah, this, it'll be fine. It'll be great. And I was saying the same thing. It shouldn't be too crazy. We shouldn't be experiencing anything too dangerous. Um, and, and so <laughs> both of our families were just warning us. So... You know, again, I didn't anticipate or plan anything like this happening. But on the first day of the goat hunt, we we hiked. We took this raft across the lake. And, and to kind of set the stage, we get to the other side. And then for the first 1,500 feet of vertical climbing, super thick. And so I'm used to taking trekking poles. And the guide gave us an ice axe. So, so it's a four and a half, five foot ice axe. I'm a big guy. I'm six, six, 280 pounds. So he gave me the biggest ice axe and you really use it because you're throwing that sharp end of the ice axe into the hill to climb, to pull yourself up because it's just so thick and steep. And so we climbed up out of this, this bottom and got on this ridge. It was a very pointed ridge and we were hiking the spine of it up. We got to this point where we were going to camp. So we camped, got up the next morning and loaded up we left camp and we were just going to hike we had about another 500 vertical feet to get above tree line and now we're mountain goat hunting but about 400 yards out of camp we're hiking in a single file line and it's the guide and mel was right behind him and then i was about eight yards back of them and i had another buddy who worked for crispy boots he was about 20 feet back uh, of me and, and he had a 357 pistol strapped here my backpack, my gun was strapped to my backpack just because it's so thick and you're using both hands that I tried to have my gun on my shoulder and it's just, it was a nightmare. It's, it's jabbing into the ground. It's getting caught, hung up on things. So I have a folder stock. So putting it on my backpack, it was just out of the way. It was easy to hike up. Again, I wasn't planning on getting charged by a, by a brown bear. So anyways, we're hiking up through this spine and I just remember it kind of plateaued out and then up again. And right as the guide went to step up onto this plateau area, there was a big tree on his right and he grabbed it, pulled himself up. And all I heard him scream, part of my language is he said, Oh, fuck, run. <laughs> and, and, and as he said that I heard the bear roar. And so I couldn't see it, but I knew exactly what was happening. My first thought was, Oh, that's, that's um, that's a sow with cubs. Uh, a female is a sow, and so I thought it's like that's a sow with cubs. And that bear was so close to the guide because uh, you know you get all these people with feedback and stuff. It's like you don't run, and and obviously you don't run from a bear. It would it, it, that provokes it to charge further. But when it's literally eight feet away from you, it stood up on its hind legs, looked at him, 
pinned its ears back like an aggressive dog, you know, like, you know, you can tell when a dog's going to attack when it's not. Yeah, the whole demeanor and body language. The whole yeah. demeanor, everything. So it pinned its ears back, came down, and it was coming, and he had eight feet. So he had his rifle. A lot of those guides wear those Barney Sports Chalet Frontier Gear backpacks. They're amazing, but they have two metal posts coming out, and they strap it over, and that's how they carry their rifles. Round in the chamber on safety. But that bear was so close that he had no time to get that gun off. And he, and he knew that my gun was to my backpack. My buddy had a three fifty seven. That's all we had. And so his instinct was to try to buy some time. So when he said run, that was basically create space and retreat so we could get out of the thick stuff and see what we were dealing with. So my girlfriend Mel turns and she runs by me. And I don't recall what happened to her in the moment. And the guide comes creating space and he's comes right by me and tries to go down the hill to where it's a little more clear. And I'm like, well, I'm a big guy. I'm the biggest guy here. I have the best chance to um, survive an attack. You know, like I'm going to get messed up, but hopefully I don't die. And, and I was just thinking of my girlfriend there and like the conversations we'd had with our families. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. It's like, are you serious? They'd warned us. They were asking these questions. And I'm like, I can't let her get hurt. Like if I get attacked and hurt, fine. But I can't have her get hurt. And so I'm sitting there and I kind of prepare myself. I have my ice axe in my hand. And, I, and the bear comes out of the willows. And I see it. And I was looking right in its eyes. And, and it was only a second or two, but it seemed like time stood still. And I was looking in its eyes, and I see that it is locked on to the guide. The guide was wearing all gray, his rain suit, and that bear was locked on it. And, and I recall thinking, like, when, when predators are attacking, they get tunnel vision on their prey. And so that all hit me all at once, and I was like, that bear's not going to get me. He's going after the guide. So as I'm standing there, I don't even think that bear saw me or knew I was there. And so as it's running literally a foot by me, my instinct was like, well, you got an ice axe in your hand. Give it all you got. And so I, I swung as hard as I could and tried to hit it right in the head to try to kill it. So <laughs> I hit it in the head. I felt the ice axe go all the way in to the bear, like hit the handle to where it stopped. And the ice axe get ripped out of my hands. I'm still looking up the, up the way we were going because I was expecting to see some cubs. So when I didn't see cubs coming down... I turn and look back just in time to see that bear hit the guide right in the back. It just hits him and runs him over, and they go tumbling down the hill. So, hold on. Oh, yeah. So, you've, you've hit the bear with your ice pick in the head. Correct. And that hasn't slowed it down. It's just kept motoring after the guide and still got him. So, yeah. yeah. Let, let me finish, and then we can go back yeah, and yeah, break, yeah. Down, break down the whole story. We can... <laughs> We can go and break down every detail if you if you want to ask questions. Yeah, so 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 runs over the guide, and you see the guide head over hills, kind of tumbling down. The bear goes on past him, like another ten yards. So I turn around just to see that, and then I see the ice axe hanging out of the bear's head, and the bear's kind of shaking its head, and the guide is scrambling. So the gun's still on his shoulder, half off his shoulder. So he's scrambling to get that gun off of his shoulder, and making a lot of noise. At that point, the bear locked back onto the guide. See his movement. Because the bear kind of looked up at me and then looked down at the guide who was scrambling to get his rifle. And he charges again at the guide. And, and as the bear's about a foot away, he rears up on his haunches to attack him, to maul him. 
And I was just sitting up there thinking, like, I'm going to witness this guy die is what was going through my mind. And right as that bear is coming, bearing down on him, he gets a shot off straight up in the air. So he has his rifle. He's on his back with his backpack, kind of half sitting up, and his gun up like this. And he gets a shot off just straight up in the air. And he had a big 375 Shytech uh, rifle with a big muzzle brake on it. And so that blast of that rifle hit that bear right in the face. And I saw its fur and everything kind of willow back. And so the bear retreats back 10 yards to where he originally was when he was shaking his head with the ice axe. The guide is scrambling again to chamber another round. And as he's doing that, the bear locks onto him again and comes a third time at him. And at this point, he, he gets the gun at just from his hip as he's laying down. And it just points and shoots. Um, and hit the, we, I, he hit the ground. He thought he hit him. I, I saw dirt fly up. So he hit the ground right in front of the bear. And then the bear retreated again. And at that point, my girlfriend Mel had stood up. And the, on that charge, my buddy had pulled out his 357 and had fired four rounds, kind of threw some scrub oak at the bear with his 357. So in combination of those two shots, the pistol shots, you know, and then Mel stood up right next to me. So we're all screaming and yelling and making a big fuss. The bear started to circle and come back uphill. And the whole time we're watching it and just making noise. And he got about 40 yards away and he's dead even on the hill with me at this time. And he starts bluff charging. So three steps towards us, three steps back. Three steps towards us, three steps back. We're creating a fuss and big fuss. And and I've heard from some other Alaskan hunters that if you're in a group of three, grizzlies will rarely attack just because they're outnumbered and there's a lot more people. So at that point, there was three of us standing right there making a ton of noise. So at that point, the bear decided he was done and he takes off up the hill. And as he turns to run up the hill, the ice axe falls out of his head. So at that point, I rip off my backpack and get my gun. <laughs> so now I have my gun round in the chamber off safety zoom all the way down to lowest power so now i'm ready for close quarters encounters the guide reloads he has three shots so he has one left but he throws two more shells in his gun my buddy matt is reloading his 357 and so at that point you know i walk up i get the ice axe and then we retreat back down the hill about 100 yards where there was a, a clearing and we went right out to the middle of the clearing and we all got back to back and we just sat for about 20, 30 minutes, stood. We weren't sitting, but we were standing, just on high alert. Because you hear a lot of these stories and whatnot, and, and those bears will circle back downwind and come again. So we were just worried he was going to attack again. So after about 20, 30 minutes, we kind of chilled out. We were talking. We were just getting our adrenaline back in check. Um, and yeah, so at that point, that we the attack was over. <laughs> And so, yeah, that, that, was, that was the experience. So if you want to go back and, and ask questions throughout the whole <laughs> experience, we can go into more detail around it. Oh, I've got so many. Like, it is just an unbelievable story because I just sit there and, as I said before, we Australians don't, unless you're going overseas, we don't have to contend with anything like that. The, the worst thing probably similar would probably be maybe a wild dog or, you know, whatever you're chasing, being deer or whatever sure. actually sort of coming at you. So I'm just trying to imagine this, that even though you've jammed this ice axe into its head, did it slow it down or did it did it even stop <laughs> to sort of like that it was bothering it 
because obviously he said it just kept going after the guide. Did it not just even care, didn't even know it was there and it was just so focused? So I, I had a really good two-hour conversation with three professional hunters that live in Alaska and make a living hunting in Alaska. And they had some really good and, and insightful thoughts around this. Because at the time, I didn't really think it did. But when those grizzlies are chasing, say, a goat or a deer, you know, they're going 30, 40 miles an hour. And they will stop on a dime once they catch that deer. And so for that bear to hit the guy and not stop on him, it's my opinion and of theirs that with that ice axe hitting him in the head and kind of probably, you'd imagine it dipped his head a little bit, that... It would disoriented him enough and distracted him enough to where he didn't stop right on that guy and maul him. That he hit him and ran through him and down the hill and then turned around. So it's kind of our, my opinion and thought on it is that that ice axe definitely, you know, affected that bear to the point where, you know, it disoriented him or, or stopped him enough that where... He didn't just stop on the guy and maul him. He ran through it. Yeah, just enough to save that guy's life. How big was it, the bear, like itself? So so we think he was about an eight-foot grizzly. So when you measure him, like after you skin him and stuff, so from tip of the nose to tip of the tail, um, we think he was about an eight-foot boar, male grizzly bear. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. So so not a giant, but a really good, strong, powerful bear. What, uh, what weight did, would you have put it at? Oh, man, probably six to 800 pounds. Yeah, that's, that's a monster, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like when you, you're just thinking, you know, the average bloke, and I, you guys are running pounds over there. We run the metric and yeah. sort of kilos over here. But, you know, your average adult male is sort of around the 100 kilo mark, a little less, a little higher, whatever it is. But when you then put it into that sort of, you're talking 400 plus kilos. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say about like, four to 500 kilos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big ass bear, and even just steamrolling. So when he hit the guard, was the did that do any damage? Because that's a you know that's like a truck. Sorry, like a car hitting you. It totally was, and and he has those big backpacks, and and I've read a ton of stories about grizzly and bear attacks, and what ends up saving a lot of people's lives. You know, they get hurt when they get mauled. But those backpacks on your back, they really do protect your ribs and lungs and everything like that. Because a lot of times those bears will get on you and they'll pounce. They'll like put all their weight and, and try to like break your ribs or something like that. And then they always go for your head and arms. And so people will cover up and they'll bite your arms and break your arm. And then they'll get a claw or something in your face. And, and you know, we, we talk about it, it's kind of gruesome, but they'll pill your face. So if you've seen some of the pictures of other attacks and stuff is people's heads and skin will be peeled down. And so we were kind of talking about like, well, you probably, we probably wouldn't have died from it. It wouldn't have been a fatal attack. Not very many bear attacks or grizzlies are fatal, uh, but you, you will break some ribs, you'll break an arm and you'll have to get 50, 60 stitches in your head. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Did, uh, okay. So you, first trip with your girlfriend, Yeah. how was uh, she in something like that? Cause uh, like, you know, as hunters, you probably know going out there, there's an element of risk in what we do. But for someone that's tagging along and, you know, sort of first trip, especially with all this, and it was funny how you were accounting that one of your thoughts were straight away to, oh, the family said about all oh, these dangers. I just felt immediate shame. I felt so yeah. much shame and get like, oh, you were right. Everybody had said this and warned about this and it's happening. I can't like, 
You just feel stupid. This one in a million thing, and it oh. just happens to happen on the first trip. How, how was she? First trip, second day, first day of really hunting. And she's new to it, you know. She She's never hunted, so we got her all the gear, and she was so excited. And she was such a trooper hiking. She was a badass. Just up the hill, just right on our heels, carrying her backpack. She was awesome. And so for that to happen, I, I kept telling her, I'm like, honey, you, you could hunt five lifetimes and never have this happen to you, just so you know. And, you know, there's no convincing her otherwise. It's like, no, that, that was my first time. Like, there's no convincing me that that's a once in a million experience. Um, and she was pretty, you know, understandably, she was really shaken up. I, I was really nervous that she was going to go into shock. And so when we got down to that clearing and we're circled, I, I just kept trying to get her to talk. She wouldn't talk. And, and the reason was, is she, she wanted to be aware so she could hear the bear. And, and like, I, I wasn't so worried about hearing the bear again. We could see, but I just wanted to get her to talk to, to take her out of that shock factor. And so that was the biggest thing I was worried about after it was, oh, like, let's not, you know, go in, like, freeze up or tense up or just shut down from the shock of it because it was very real concern. Yeah, 100%. So when you're there, you're in this clearing, and I think you said you're standing, everyone's back against each other, just looking for this bear. 30 minutes, What what's the feeling? Is it like, is this thing out there is it stalking us is it i'm it's gone and we're we're good to go back to camp and i'm, I'm presuming that the the sheep hunts got like stopped for the day after that encounter oh see and that's funny so this was the only way up the mountain after the mountain goats and so the bear had ran off on the direction we needed to go and so we get out our binos and we're kind of looking up in the cliffs trying to find mountain goats and decide what to do and as we look up there about a mile away up above tree line in the tundra was just an absolute giant of a bear, a different bear. I, I think there was four, four and a half feet from his belly to the ground. He he felt like looking at him, he dwarfed the one that attacked us. And so we see that and we're like, good hell, we got one that we don't know. It's wounded. It has an ice axe. The guy thinks he had hit it with the 375. So we're talking about like, do we go and try to find the bear? Do, do we go into the thick sh- after it? That's probably not the smartest thing. We got away without a scratch, so why would we do that? I don't even care if it's alive or dead, really. Like, I'm just, I'm lucky and blessed. So so we're like, do we go up and keep on the hunt, or we do, do, do we go down and wait and kill two days of a five-day hunt? Because at that point, it was like, oh, if we come down, and the weather, it rains over 200 inches there, and so, you know, you're blessed to have a lucky or a, a clear day. So we're like, if we go down, pretty much the hunt's going to be over. And so, but yeah, we made the call and we're like, well, let's go back to camp. So it was only 300 yards back down the hill to camp. So we went back to camp, made a sandwich and got some food and water in us, uh, packed up camp and then uh, made the 1400 foot descent back to the raft. And uh, we were back in sick at a bar uh, having beers that night. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I don't doubt it. I just... Like, as I said at the start, this is a crazy story, but I can't imagine what you were going through even that night. Like, man, I can't sleep some nights when I've got just going out for a hunt the next morning. And having something like that, man, just you'd need a few beers just to sort of tranquilize yourself. Well, it's funny. There was a cruise that was out 
you know, in the ocean and, and the, the word of the story had already hit that cruise ship and sick is not a very big city anyways, you know, two, 3000 people. And so when we walk into the bar, you know, Mel goes up to order a beer and mentions the attack to somebody and they're like, that was you. We heard about that. <laughs> and so word had just spread through like wired wildfire throughout the town. But people have asked me a lot, like, Oh, I bet you, you know, did you have to change your underwear? Was it so like adrenaline? Were you so scared and stuff? And it honestly happened so fast from the time the, the guide said run to when it was over it was probably 15, 16, 17 seconds, somewhere in there. All of that happened within under 20 seconds. And from the time that I knew there was a bear to when I hit it with the ice axe was probably three or four seconds. And so you don't, I didn't have time to even be scared or have that. It was just like, oh, there's a bear. Oh, there is ice axe in it. And then that all happened. And it's like, you don't have time to think and process. And it was just like instincts kicked in and it was fight or flight. It's like, you're just going to react how you're going to react. There's no thinking through what you're going to do. Now, my, um, my wife worked over in the US for a couple of months and we came over and did a bit of traveling and whatnot. And I remember reading about like the bear spray. And hearing an encounter like this, I just, I can't fathom how a little bit of capsicum spray or pepper spray would actually slow it down in the moment and how accurate you'd have to be to hit the eyes or face. As you said, you had four seconds to unlatch, pull it out, aim, shoot. That's a lot to do. It's, yeah, it's just such an interesting thing for me to say, wow, like, so obviously you post something like this on social media and you're going to get all the keyboard warriors and everybody that's never been in a situation like that, but think they're experts. So when I posted it, obviously you get a lot of people that you never have your backpack gun on your backpack. That's why you have to shoot bear spray. Ah, oh, it's not bear spray. It's a pistol and you should have, you know, a 45 Magnum or something, a 44 Magnum on your chest. And, and after going through it, I remember when we were sitting in the meadow you know, we were talking about, man, what, what would we have had that would make the biggest difference? Um, I'm going to come back to that because the, these 300 professional hunters I was talking to, they informed me and said, um, 25% of bear attacks end in somebody getting shot. And so if I would have had a pistol with 10, 19 rounds, cause I was thinking, Oh, I'd like a 10 millimeter Glock with 19 rounds. Give me the most ammo I had. And I hear that coming and I pull that out of my bino harness. I don't know where my girlfriend is. I really didn't know where she was. Yeah. I know the guy ran past me. I don't know where my buddy is. And so I just start in the heat of that moment and that panic and that adrenaline. I just start blasting. Boom, 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 boom. I hit my girlfriend. I hit the guide. I hit my buddy. What's worse? Getting mauled by a bear and having a broken arm or getting shot? Yeah. And so I, I'm glad I didn't have a pistol on me. Because uh, honestly, a bear that when it's committed to charging, that's that close. I mean, I'm going to have to hit it perfect in the head to even deter it and stop it. I mean, I'm hitting it in an ice axe with an eight inch dagger on the end of it, right in the head, penetrating right behind its ear and skull there. I don't know. Anything could happen, but I'm glad I didn't have a gun. Now, it's a completely different scenario if you see a bear and it's 30 or 40 yards away and it's bluff charging, and you have distance, and you can see it. It's a completely different scenario, and in that scenario, I'd like to have a pistol on me, and you can fire some warning shots and hopefully scare it off. 
but at eight feet, not not yards, like feet. Uh, so coming out of that, I said, you know what? I would have actually liked to have, like if I could have had one item with me, I would have chosen a foghorn. So, and, and come to find out, a lot of guys that work on that island uh, on pipelines and stuff, they will actually carry foghorns. Not only to scare bears off. So, so and I saw, I saw that 357, two big shots with the break. I think it was the noise, more so than the bullet, right, that scared that bear off. And plus the air hitting it. So if I had a foghorn here, and that bear's running, and I just blast it right in the face with that foghorn, you know, I'm, I'm curious what that bear's going to do. I think it would react yeah, similar to, if it, yeah, if it was like a big break with a gun going off, like, oh, that's scary. So that's what I would pick. Yeah, well, what did the guide say like i mean i cannot imagine him climbing up and just being face to face with this massive bear he was so cool calm and collected like yeah wow and i was so impressed he got a shot off that shot that he shot up in the air you know it saved some major damage to him if not his life so i was so impressed with how calm and cool he was you know he's guided on that island for a while so (laughs) he's had a numerous amount of bear encounters Nothing like that to where a bear actually followed through on, on a charge. He had a sow and cubs charge him three weeks before that. But it was kind of like the situation I talked about earlier. It was at 30 yards. He could see him coming. There was no brush or anything in the way. And he just shot him to the ground and the thing ran off. So that's a different experience than what we had. So, yeah, yeah he, was, he, was, he was shook, but he was really calm and collected. And he, he had some leaves and twigs in his hair, and that was about all he came away with. Man, that's such that's just dodging a bullet. Like totally. it's just so bloody close like, to being knocked over. I mean, that's that's one story to tell the kids and the grandkids, isn't to it? To be ran over. All four of those legs went right like hit him and right over the top of it. <laughs> that's it's just insane to think. And what did the family say? Because like, was when you're having a beer at the pub that night, were you sitting there going, How are we gonna explain this to the family on the back of those conversations yeah. before you went out there? Yeah, so when we got on the skiff uh, that goes across the bay to take us back, you know, we finally got service, and I, I called my kids and, and told them, and they were just kind of in disbelief, and, and Mel called her sons and told them, and it's like, uh, what reaction do you even have other than, uh, wow, and then I'm so thankful, I'm so glad, like, it's, it's hard to even put it into words, and so they were just thankful, they were super glad, super thankful that... Uh, nothing worse happened of it. It was like, it couldn't have turned out any better for us. So they were just glad and thankful. Everyone's safe. Mm-hmm. What an encounter to, um, yeah, just what an encounter. Like, I think that's one of the things you just, as a hunter, you get out there and you just see things that other people don't see. And oh, yeah. just, you know, like I just sit there and go, wow. Like, whatever happened to the bear? Yeah, that's what I was going um, We don't know. I, I don't think we killed it. I don't think it's dead. I, I, those things are so tough and strong. You know, if if the guide would have hit it with that 375, it, sorry, it was H and H, 375 H&H, I mean, that's a giant bullet with a ton of powder and a ton of knockdown. At 10 yards, if he's hitting that thing, that bear's going to, you know, curl. A lot of times when you shoot them, they turn and bite and roll and spin. That bear just that didn't it didn't do anything other than retreat and and then talking to Mel after the fact too, she remembers seeing dirt fly up too. So I honestly don't think we put a bullet in it. So I think and where I hit it in the head, 
you know, as it was running towards me, the left side of its head, right as I'm looking at it, I think I hit it right behind its ear. Right as its skull ends, it gets into a lot of that thick neck meat with some cartilage and, and that kind of stuff. I think I hit it right back there. And one of the hunters was telling me he's, he's a taxidermist as well, so he's skinned a ton of these bears. And they have a big like jawbone or a bone right behind their jaw that comes down. And he thinks maybe the tip of it got into the top of that jawbone, maybe, um, for it to stick as long as it did throughout that. But yeah, I, I, I think that that wound would have healed up and that bear was completely fine. Yeah, yeah. Man, such a crazy story. I love it. But on top of that, you've just gone out after bears now. To, to, <laughs> so it's I, like a full I gotta circle. show you this. So coming home three months later, I had to get a tattoo. Oh, the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> the ice pick tattoo. Mate, I, on the forearm, I can understand why you'd get it there to, as a constant reminder because you are blessed to, to have that happen. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. I've previously interviewed a couple of guests on an old podcast where one had to be airlifted by helicopter off the side of a mountain for dehydration and another was shot in his swag while he slept by um, when he was out in a hunt by an illegal hunter who was just doing the wrong thing. Wow. And um, – you know, they survive, thank God, which is fantastic. But then I, I listen to that and just go, wow, like it's just another element that we don't have over here. Yeah. Well, I don't feel we have over here. Like I know some people are very scared of snakes and yeah. and whatnot, but if you know how to handle them, even if they do bite you, there's a good chance if you do things right with a pressure bandage and whatnot, they're not probably – do many people carry like antivenom over there as you're into the wood hunting? There? No, it's so surprisingly, it's really hard to get and it's in very short mm. supply. And look, that is probably because I think we have off the top of my head nine of the 10 most venomous snakes here. But the reality is, most of the time, unless you're most people get bitten trying to handle them, yeah, and trying to grab them or misidentification because there's a couple of we have a couple of skinks over here that tend to look like them. And there's a lot of stories that uh, there was one down here in Gosford, which is sort of just uh, north of Sydney. Uh, a bloke just in camping with the um, camping with the family saw what he thought was what we call blue tongue lizard. Went to grab it. Actually, turned out to be a death adder, which they can be mistaken quite easily because they're both sort of real thick bodied, very short and stubby. Mm. Uh, one obviously has legs, the other doesn't, but depending how you see it and what it's under, he grabbed it, bit him, and um, yeah, it's pretty pretty tough for that one, so he's off to hospital. But even he survived. So the reality is we've got some pretty good gear here. Like There's a, a really good snake bandage, and it um, has a square and a rectangle on it, so when you actually apply the right amount of pressure, it shows you visibly on there by changing it from a square to a rectangle. I don't know exactly which one. I haven't had to use it, touch wood. But uh, the reality is when you're, you know, as I said, snakes don't attack you. Like they're not like what we've just talked about. You're sure. not climbing over something, seeing something at eight foot, you know. Like if you see one and you're like, I'm not going to touch it or handle it, you yeah. go the other direction. Or even standing still. The sick. amount of times, you know, on my, my recent hunt down in the snowy mountains, I stepped on, um, oh, it's probably not even 30 centimetres off a red-bellied black snake. And, you know, I stepped, saw it. And it literally probably got closer and nearly went between my legs as it was trying to get away. Sure. So most of the time they are trying to get away. People either get bit picking them up or stepping on them. That's the other one um, because they just sort of lay there. It's very rare they'll chase you, which is completely different to what you guys have got over there. And- well, and that's the case with bears and cougars and stuff too. That's the thing is like I don't even know how many cougars I've been within yards of feet 
And you just don't know because they don't want to be seen. They hear you, smell you. They're gone over the next ridge. And grizzlies are usually no different. And so for this one to be that aggressive, it was just, we think he was either napping, like was dead asleep, and we just completely startled him. So he just went straight on the defensive. Or he might have had a a deer, a a sick of black-tailed deer kill right there. Yep. Um, so, So either way, it was just straight in defense uh that we feel like so yeah kind of moving in because i had another encounter so i just got back two days ago from alaska so now i'm back on the interior um and the guy that i went on my moose hunt with and my doll sheep hunt with he has a black bear bait camp and so he has these cool cabins um it's not really up in the mountains it's kind of down at the base it's an easy flight in you stay in cabins you're sleeping warm you get good food so he wanted me to bring my son. So I brought my nephew and niece with me as well. So there's four of us, my 11-year-old son, niece, nephew. So we're going to go in and do a black bear beta tree stand hunt. So your farthest shot is going to be 100 yards. Um, but he had two previous groups in there for the pr- previous two weeks, and it was just, it was dead. It, it was weird weather this spring. Everything was later in the year. So normally when bears are hitting the bait, they just weren't. And so he called me up. He's like, Clint, I've never had this happen before, but it's dead. And he's like, I don't want you to come out here and just have it sit in a tree stand for 18 hours because it doesn't get dark there and just be bored out of your mind. So we kind of talked. I'm like, well, let's go to where I shot my moose. Let's go up into the mountains. We saw a lot of black bear. Let's do a spot and stock hunt. It's some extra flying. We can take a super cub in and let's make it a mountain hunt. That'll be fun. And I was a little nervous with to do that with my 11-year-old, but that's what we decided to do. So. We flew up into the, the mountains there, and you can't hunt the day you fly in Alaska. So we just, we got in. It was individual shuttle on a Super Cub because you only can get one person behind the pilot. So four of us, it took basically all day to get in there. So we went to bed, woke up the next morning, and as we're hiking down the river, and we, we had hip waders on, glacier socks, that kind of thing, because we had to cross the river so much. And my son was actually able to spot a black bear. And he spots it up on this hill and it was 600 yards away. So we sneak up and we set up. And and I've shot uh, PRS, NRL, rifle competition matches. So I have a pretty slick custom gun built out. And so set him down, got him on the bipod, put him on the bear, ranged. It was 585 yards, dialed the scope, made sure he was in, read the wind, said, hey, this is where you aim. And man, he hammered that bear. So it, it ran four or five feet and rolled rolled down, and it died kind of in this clearing. And so we were, and I have a grizzly tag. So I, I bought a brown bear tag, a grizzly slash brown bear tag. So the guide stays back, and we go up the mountain so he can give us hand signals so we can find the bear. So we get up there, we find it, the guide comes up, and I had left my big gun. I, I had a 300 PRC, and I had left it down on the river. I didn't want to hike it up the mountain. And so we're skinning this bear, taking pictures, skinning it out. And we glass down river in a bend and there's some beaver pond and stuff. And I'm like, oh, there's a big black bear. And my, my niece puts a binos on it and sees it. And she's like, whoa, that's a bear. She said, hands me the binos. says, Clint, you got to look. So I look at it and I, I tell my guy, I'm like, Chet, that, that's a giant, giant grizzly bear. That's huge. And he's like, what, where is it? So we look at it. And so. That thing starts coming up river towards us. So my gun is down on the river 650 yards away. <laughs> and so me and him take off the off down the mountain. 
And again, we're halfway up this mountain and the bear's down on the bottom. And we leave my niece, nephew, and my son with, with that, that gun that they had, had shot the, the black bear with. So we go down, we get there, we get my gun. And, and, but as I was halfway down the mountain, I looked over and I saw it working right towards us, right at the base of the mountain. It hadn't gone down the river. And so I get down there and I tell my guy, I'm like, hey, we got to get back up to where we were, at least halfway to where we were, get some elevation. That bear's going to walk right underneath us. So after a little bit of prep and stuff, we kill too much time, but we, we cross the river, go across these thick willows that are just so thick. You're getting caught up. It takes you 10 minutes to go, you know, 10 yards. We get across, we finally start working our way up. And I look up at my nephew and he, we had these hand signals. And so he said, hunters, get down. And so we're like, oh, that bear's got to be close. So we, we drop down. I get my gun on a tripod, so I'm ready. And there's a little roll in the hill that we can't see very far. We can only see about 50 yards. And so I'm like, this bear is going to pop over any minute. It's going to be close quarters. We're going to shoot it. No problem. And then I look up again in the binos. I look at my nephew and he has that gun in his hand. And I'm like, that's weird. And then I hear some, some yelling and I couldn't really make out what they were saying. I just heard some faint yelling. I'm like, wow, that's really strange. And so anyways, I'm still ready on high alert for the bear. And then we hear rock just on the other side of this hill tumbling down the mountain. And I'm like, oh, that bear's right there. He's coming. Like, he's coming our way. And I look up at my nephew, and he gives us the, this sign, like the hunt's over. We're like, what? What happened? And then he comes running down to find it, to get us. So he's barreling off this hill. He gets to us. He's like, that bear popped out at 30 yards from us. And we're like, What? He's like, yeah, that bear we saw, he was working across. We watched him. He stood up on an aspen tree and scratched his back, got down. And then he must have caught our scent when we hiked up. And he went right up the tree. Like my 11-year-old son went up a, a group of willow trees. And that bear was coming across and hit that patch of willow trees and followed my son's track right to that bear. So he popped out. At, that was about 40 yards. And so my nephew has that gun pointed right at his head. And he was yelling, hey, bear, hey, bear. And that bear just kind of looked at him weird, put its nose in the air. When it caught a whiff of him, that thing just took off. So those rocks we heard was him barreling off that mountain. He got down to the river bottom, went through 200 yards of willows like it was nothing, crossed the river over the next two ridges, and he was so far out of there that he covered two miles in three minutes. <laughs> yeah, well. And, and so that was... That happened. I'm just like, are are you kidding me? Like that that would happen on the next next bear hunt. Um, but again, I'm just glad that we had guns. We were much more prepared. We saw the bear was coming. It was in a clearing. You know, my nephew was prepared and was ready to to kill that bear if it got any closer. Um, but that that's bear hunting in Alaska, I guess. Like you just gotta gotta be prepared. That's uh, uh, uh... You know, my experience of Alaska is what I see on TV and we had Jim Shockey on the podcast mm. and hearing all his stories and things like that. And I've grown up watching him and, and whatnot. Sure. And it looks so amazing over there and just such picturesque beauty. Um, it is definitely on the bucket list for me one day. But what, um, what's your favorite thing? Like you've obviously done a lot of hunting. Yeah. What do you love to hunt? Favorite place over there? Yeah, I would definitely say Alaska. So, I mean, I've gone to Mexico. I did a desert uh, desert sheep hunt. That was awesome, amazing. Um, but 
yeah, so I've hunted Colorado, Wyoming, uh, a lot of the Midwest, Kansas, Nebraska and stuff, Whitetail. I've done all that, done the tree stand hunting. But something about Alaska and how remote and just big. The country is just so big and endless. Like everybody that I've gone there with and I had the same reactions, like this is the last frontier. It's just so vast and big. And when you look down and you're flying in an airplane, you're like, oh, that you can move. The, the shrub and the grass, the grass is as tall as my chest. The, the willows are 10 feet tall. And so to think that you're just going to go tromping across the tundra there, it just doesn't happen. The Kind of the rule of thumb is it's an hour to go a mile in that country. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I just, I, I loved my Dalston punt. It was a test of mental fortitude of your physical fitness. Uh, people will either, you know, the saying is after one day of sheep hunting, you'll either be an addict or you'll never do it again. And, and I've seen that and, and being with this guy and, and being around him, he's guided a lot of sheep and I've had him in camp with me where they do one day and they say, Hey, get on the sat phone, get a plane. I'm out of here. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Cause it's 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 tough. You get blisters. You're hungry. You're carrying sixty pound packs straight up and down hills that are unforgiving, and so you gotta love it. And then you're paying a lot of money to be there as a non-resident. And so, but I, I would definitely say, yeah, that Alaskan doll sheep hunt was just such an experience. And the weather and the fog. I mean, there's guys that have spent a lot of money and in a ten day hunt, spent all of it in a tent because it's rainy and foggy. And I, I almost had that. I got real lucky. I spent six of my 10 days in a tent because I couldn't see five feet. There are spots in the world still that are just so remote and it is it is the just as pure as it probably mm -hmm. can get there being out in nature and in the wilderness. So it sounds, mate, absolutely amazing. But, man, what a story. Yeah. So I did the next day, though, I did. It was funny because we were just in camp. It was 11.30. We'd done our morning hunt. We came back. We are kind of just – those bears move all day long. So we were just in camp kind of re-gearing grabbing some lunch and the guide was sitting there we're all talking and he puts up his binos. He's like, there's a brown bear. <laughs> and it's 450 yards from camp. So I get my gun and I drop right in between the tents and he made sure there was no cubs with it. And 450 yards, just poof, right from the side of the hill. And that's where I got my uh, mountain grizzly. And you filled your tag. I filled my tag awesome. the next day. And it was a, it was a good, almost an eight foot sow uh, grizzly. So just even that bear, you get up to them and you see their paws and their teeth and their head. And then when you skin it out and you see their forearms and their biceps and their shoulders and how muscular they are, it just blows your mind. How, um, what do you do with the meat? Um, yeah, so we grew, we took it. We ground it up. The black bear meat's really good. Grizzly, you know, if, if, if the spring bears, they eat a lot of grass and that kind of stuff. So they're actually pretty good meat when they get into the fall and they're eating dead rotten fish or animals and stuff like that uh the the bear i shot two years ago in alaska um it had been eating blackberries so as we were as we were uh processing that its blood was almost purple yeah well. so that was delicious we cubed that up and had it in in uh, uh with some rice and beans that night in camp and it was amazing but there's a couple great processors there in anchorage that uh, make a lot of breakfast sausage so they do italian sausage chorizo uh so most of the people will process bear meat and put it into sausage 
you can put it in, yep. you know, spaghetti, lasagna, that kind of stuff. And eat all of it. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, eat all of it. So there's a few people that will do roasts and steaks. But again, you you got to cook it to well done. And so. Yeah, because a bit of, there's trichinosis or something, isn't be. there, over there with it? Yeah, yeah it yeah. can be. So you, you just got to cook it till it's well done. I think a hundred and, I don't even want to quote, but. Um, so cook it till it's well done and then you can eat it. But again, if you're a hunter, you probably don't like well done steak. A hundred percent. What's next? Yeah. Some, I mean, how do you top those things? <laughs> That's the, is there a stage there where you sit there and go, how does that get better? How does that experience like what's going to happen next? Does it keep driving you? <laughs> well, so I want to get my grandson cheap. So I have my desert and I have my doll. So this August, I'm going to go up to British Columbia and go after a stone sheep. So I got that hunt coming up, and I'm really excited for that. I think stone sheep is kind of the pinnacle of North American sheep hunting, if you ask me. Um, and so I'm really excited on that one, and, and I'll combo it up with a mountain goat and hopefully get my mountain goat. Um, and then have to get a rocky. I'll have to get a rocky mountain bighorn. And, and you either have to go to Alberta or spend ridiculous amounts of money in the lower 48 and so I just got to or draw, get lucky and draw a tag. I've been putting in for 19 years and haven't drawn a, a bighorn tag. So got to figure out how to get that. And then honestly, I kind of got the bug after that list last bear hunt last week to go to the peninsula. So either Kodiak or Unimac or some island like that and really go after a 10 plus foot brown bear. I was going to say the Kodiak bear is a big. Mm-hmm. So after seeing that bear down there, and we, we guessed he was a little over nine feet. Like we went and looked at his tracks in the sand and stuff, and I was just like, "Holy cow!" And so that got the blood pumping. I'd love to to go down there on Koya, where you can see multiple bears and big, just big old tank of bears. Like I didn't think I would like it that much, but I, that might be in the next couple of years. I'll have to go do a peninsula brown bear hunt. <laughs> Very nice, mate. Um, look, that's ah, oh, jeez, I. Uh, I'm envious on such a great story. I don't know if I'd like to be in the situation. <laughs> I've been uh, loving hearing about it, but it it does make me appreciate in one sense that we don't have anything sure. like that over here, but then also I'm sort of a bit envious and jealous that you get those experiences because even even that second one, that's, um, that's pretty, pretty cool, cool when you think about it. And uh, I think it's also a bit of like it's, it sounds humbling that you're – you know, we, we say here in Australia that realistically you're out camping and that don't have to worry about too many things. Probably people are the thing sure. you've got to worry about the most. Over there, it's so different. It's so, so different. And I just, I, I want to experience that humbling sort of knowing that you are not the apex predator in the bush. Because, um, you know, we don't technically have too many over here that would challenge or even remotely be like what you guys face over there. Yeah. So. And in Alaska, those, the guides are even like, man, you're, you're tangling with heavyweights when you're going after grizzly or brown bears. And and yeah. with the brush as thick as it is, you, you see glimpses of them. So when you shoot, I mean, if you don't knock those things down and have visual, you're going in and some thick stuff to find them. And so that's even yeah. as more dangerous. Or So those guides, like, that that in and of itself is just a whole nother level. But my niece and nephew, that was their first time there. And to see that brown bear and then to see it that close and just to have that experience, they were just like that. That's that's my that's the pinnacle of my hunting career. That's awesome. I, that, that was so fun and cool and exhilarating. But really, you get such an appreciation. I, I find myself just standing and just taking in the scenery of these majestic mountains. And they just go on forever. 
and all you hear is an occasional airplane. And and it is humbling. I mean, yeah, if cool. you don't appreciate it and love it, it's terrifying being out there by yourself where you're like, I don't have anything. Like if I get a toothache or if my appendix bursts or what if I get an infection or if I'm slicing meat and I cut my finger, like what are you going to do? Like you're, you're four hours from getting out of here um, if you're lucky. And if the weather's good because you can't fly if the weather's yeah. not good. So it, it just you put all that together and it's 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 not for the faint for sure. hundred percent. But when you take it in, like you said, you just get there and you you're sitting on top of a mountain and you're just like, man, this is living. This is living the fullness of life. <laughs> That's my perspective. Oh, hundred percent. On with you. I just you know when you're when you're up the top of a mountain overlooking things, you just sit there and go, how beautiful the scenery mm-hmm. is. And I always sit there and question how many other people have sure. seen this. And then I sort of go, how many other people that aren't hunting have seen this? And, you know, you're pretty sitting there going, I doubt many at all. So it can take you some pretty cool spots and, you know, just that reflection and that time, it is, uh, it's amazing. Mate, really appreciate your time coming on. There's a big time difference. And um, it's been just, as I said, I have been hanging to hear that story. How, How did you find that story? Where, where did you run across? I saw it on, I think it was, oh, I could have been, don't quote me exactly. I think it could have been Field and Game. Okay. I remember reading the article and I just went, oh my God, like I need to talk to this. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I want to know more. Like, you know, I love reading and yeah. I love, you know, there's only so much you get from that, from that sort of. Yeah, that article. Those words yeah. on the page. Yeah. yeah and I, it just captured my imagination and I was like, I really want to hear this. From the horse's yeah. mouth, not calling your yeah, horse, yeah. but that's the saying. And, uh, you know, just just to hear it and hear the experience and the emotions and how it happens so quick and it's something yeah. that, you know, it's it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. One in a million would be probably understating the odds. Uh, and I, yeah, I, so right cool. when I posted it on Facebook, I just posted a couple pictures of me holding the bloody axe and and then I, I have friends in the shooting community, the, the precision rifle community, and they have one of their buddies is the editor of outdoor life. And so then they called me and we did, we did an article on outdoor life and, and I, I've kept in touch with them a little bit, but they say it's, it's the most viewed story on their website in history. <laughs> oh, hundred so percent. Cool. It just captures your imagination. And I'm pretty, actually, I think it was outdoor life that I yeah. saw it. Cause I, um, it just captures your imagination, yeah. even if you're not. Like we are an Australian hunting podcast, and as I said, we don't deal with that sort of stuff, but it captured my just imagination straight away, and it was something I need to hear about this story. And just to hear the different experiences out there and what other hunters in different parts of the world go through as opposed to what we see here. Right. So I think it's always a good one that makes me re- – I'm really interested in that stuff, and I know the listeners will be too. I'm so. glad, and I like sharing that stuff. A lot of people won't share on social media because they're like, you know, the blowback or the criticism or whatever, and, you know, I'm comfortable enough with myself. <laughs> I want to share it, and I want to hopefully educate and, and you know it's it's a lot of good discussion so that when more people go into the woods they're a little bit more prepared do their research better than i did for what that the one thing too that those professional hunters mentioned is sitka is a thousand square miles there are 1100 brown bear on sitka so one bear per every square mile that's just asinine to think of like even in this lower 48 there's not that many bears and you're lucky to even see one and so I, I didn't know that. 
I wasn't prepared as I should have been knowing my terrain, what the hunt's going to be like. I should have done more research and read and asked more questions um, so that I went more prepared than I was. So it turned out lucky for us, but, you know, I would have a lot more regrets if it hadn't have turned out how it did in my preparedness. So. Well, on that education, I, I know Joe Rogan brought it up on his podcast and I actually saw the video and he was talking about this family. It's a, a mother and a, sorry, a husband and wife and they've got two young kids and these bears just stalking them along there. They were out for mm-hmm. a walk, had no bear spray, had no nothing. And they filmed it. They're right. walking backwards, retreating, calling and, and it just was following them and following and I just sit there and I, as a young father myself, I sit there and go, oh my God, I would hate to be oh, in that yeah. position and have nothing um so the fact that you're talking about it and sharing it and saying hey this can happen and even people that are out there with rifles and and you know pistols and all the things that you probably should have to protect yourself uh it can still go wrong and things happen in the millisecond millisecond and i've seen that video and if that bear decided to charge them you don't realize how fast they are it's one two seconds and it's done and so you're not gonna do anything and so yeah like be prepared have whether it's bear spray again i don't think bear spray would have done anything in my situation i could have deployed it and that bear would have blown right through that bear spray um and a lot of times people deploy bear spray and the wind of it brings it right back in their face and now they're disabled and their vision's not as good so like i'm a proponent of bear spray i don't want to act like i'm not but but again whether it's bear spray a foghorn a pistol a rifle whatever it is just make sure in a in an instant you you're you're prepared for worst case scenario. You'll never be bummed that you didn't have if you have something when you need it. You'll be real bummed if you didn't have it when you need it. Yeah, we I always talk about complacency is a killer, mm-hmm. and if you get complacent, that's when things can start to go wrong. Go. So, mate, what a fantastic story! Glad you and everybody else survived and is uh, you know came out very unscathed from it. Yeah. So we've um, mate. Yeah, really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on the podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can jump on Clint's Instagram and see all the pictures. Uh, that's They're pretty cool and we'll, we'll get him to send one over as well so you can see what we've been talking about today. Sure. Thank you, Matt. Mate, really appreciate it. Thanks heaps. And listeners, we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. If you have a topic, guest, question or any gear that you want to hear about on the podcast, shoot us an email. Australian Hunting and Beyond at gmail.com. Alternatively, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the links are in the show notes. If you haven't already, make sure you give us a review and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.